Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Westwood Worship by Pastor Sean Wood. Around God's Word, we're going to be talking about uh, the tabernacle and the court of the tabernacle. We've been talking about the tabernacle and today I want to talk about Westwood Worship and I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. But to understand uh, Israel's concept of the tabernacle and the court, it looked a little bit like that, a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, for those who may or may not know, when I was in Tasmania, one of the 3,000 jobs I had when I was in Tasmania was working at the Country Club Casino. Uh, I actually had about four different jobs when I was there. And uh, I can remember when I went to the casino, you would you go to the public places. Before I worked there, we would you, you would go to the restaurants, you'd go to the bars, whatever it was. And But there was a whole other world to the casino that I'd never experienced until I worked there. Uh, backstage, if you like, or behind the scenes, uh, I ended up getting a job in the storeroom, which gave me almost access to every part of the casino. I would have to drop off deliveries. And if you wanted access into the country club resort, you had to come through me and I would guide you in and have to sign you in and all those sorts of things. And I was amazed at how when you step behind one door, there's a whole nother world. But also what I appreciated was when I was on the staff side, I appreciated the outward workings far more. I understood them more. I, understood, oh, I know how you guys get beer. I can tell you how many, how many metres it is from, from the cool room to every bar tap, because I used to clean the beer lines when I was there. Uh, a lot of beer gets wasted doing that, and it's a, it's a shame. It shouldn't happen, but it does. Uh, 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 but also there was another area. You, you would go from the public area into the staff area, which I didn't even know was there. And if you look at the outside of the building, for those that have ever been there, you wouldn't even know that it was there. But then there was what I call the, the inner sanctum. That's where the general manager's office was. That's where all the high-ranking managers were. And nobody could go into that place unless they were escorted by security. I didn't have a key. My swipe card wouldn't let me in there. I had to have security come in and escort me in and escort me back out. And although I've just described the Country Club Resort, in some respects, I've also described, in some ways, the tabernacle. And what we see here is, uh, although the tabernacle is at the heart of Israel and everything they do, the reality for Israel is they know that, for most of them, they will never experience the glory of the Lord and his presence. That was reserved for a handful of priests that would go into the holy place, which is beyond those curtains, and then for one man a year would go into the most holy place. That started with Moses and the others. When we we come to the tabernacle, uh, some interesting things. God, with the tabernacle, desired to dwell with his people. It is God creating a sanctuary where heaven and earth could meet, where man and God could meet. Now, we know for Israel, not many people would make it ever past the altar or the outer court, but God's teaching us that there is a way to approach him. There is a way that we respect and reverence him. There is a way that we worship him. And what we also know from the tabernacle and from Mount Sinai is what Israel experienced were boundaries and limitations. You can come so far, but no further. It's interesting when we come to the Mount of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, that Moses and a very select few were allowed at the top of the mountain. Halfway down, the elders of Israel were allowed to congregate halfway, but the rest of Israel weren't allowed past the bottom of the mountain. And today, 
We're going to unpack more of what the outer court and tabernacle meant for Israel, but also for us. But I hope we all hear these words today. The words and the message of the gospel is come. God is calling us to come. God is inviting all of us to go past the curtain and to draw near. But how do we come? How does, what does that look like? And so we answer those questions today. Where Israel knew boundaries and exclusions, God is saying come. In the very first century, there was a garden placed in a place called Eden. It's not the, Eden wasn't the garden. What we read in Genesis is that God planted a garden in Eden on the eastern side. And you'll also notice that whenever somebody is driven away from the presence of God, it begins right in the garden that they are driven eastwards. And so what we notice in the Genesis account is that there is a garden that is placed at the easternmost point of the gar- of, of Eden. And then when we see Adam and Eve are driven out, uh, Genesis tells us that God drove them out of the garden and he drove them out eastward and he placed cherubim at the east gate so they couldn't come back in. But what we now see is in a beautiful representation of the tabernacle is that at the courtyard, you'll notice there's gates at one end. There was only one way into the courtyard. And the minute you got into the courtyard, you were confronted with the altar. But that, that courtyard gate always had to face eastward. So that gate is placed at the easternmost extremity, always facing east. And so God is telling us, I'm not driving you out of my presence. It is a wonderful representation of how God is inviting us westward back into his presence. You notice that uh, later on, Ezekiel has a vision of a new temple and it is a, it's certainly prophetic because Jerusalem's never mentioned uh, in the last chapters of Ezekiel. But in chapter 47, you'll notice that there is a river that flows out of the temple and it flows eastward and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper as you go down to the point where Ezekiel can't touch the bottom anymore. It's about where my fish exist in places where you can't touch the bottom. But that river flows eastward and Ezekiel ends up seeing trees and abundance on both sides of the river. Of course, that's a representation symbolic of the Holy Spirit flowing out of God's presence in the new sanctuary. And where that fresh water, where the the water from the temple meets the bitter water, it turns it into fresh water. Friends, the message of the gospel is the message of God calling us home. We lost paradise because of sin. Sin drove man from the presence of God, and it is the same today. The good news is somebody's dealt with sin. Uh, As you have a look at the tabernacle, uh, there's a lot of imagery we could unpack concerning the the colours. There's there's four layers that surround the tent of meeting and they're all different colours like purple and scarlet. Purple speaks of of royalty and of course scarlet speaks of blood. But inside the tabernacle were sewn golden images of cherubim and cherubim is always pictured where God is enthroned. And we saw that on the, on the Ark of the Covenant, that there's cherubim that are there, that are always where God is enthroned. God's teaching us and telling us something. He's drawing us home. He's drawing us westward back into his presence. But how do we come? 
reality is that we're all born with the same sin nature that Israel had. We're all born with the same sin nature that Adam and Eve had. So how do we come? Learning about the tabernacle, uh, we notice that uh, God is calling us home. And if you were if you were just inside, you would see that huge, huge altar. That that's probably not a great representation, but the the brazen altar uh, was absolutely enormous, and that's where all the sacrifices occurred. So you would come through the gates, and the first thing you would be confronted with is a priest, and he would be there ready to take your sacrifices. There would be uh, there would be burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings. Peace offerings and sin offerings were all offered on this altar. It's interesting, uh, God continues to teach us about how it is that we approach him. Uh, when you come into the outer court, you are met with the altar and there's also a lava or a basin where you would wash. A little bit more about that in a moment, but they were all bronze or brazen. And what we see is the closer you get to God, it's gold. Bronze we start off with, but there's a process where the closer you get to his presence, everything is gold, everything is pure. Isn't that a lot like our own lives and the process of sanctification? Where in so many ways we, we come and we begin our journey and, and as we come closer and closer and closer to, to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is, is washing away and it's all about gold when you're in his presence. Uh, some really interesting facts coming up about the older when we finish, but... Uh, what we need to know about the altar is that it had four horns on each corner. And these horns, whenever you, uh, symbolically horns in scripture represent strength. So whenever you're reading uh, prophetic literature, which speaks about a beast with 10 horns, uh, it's speaking about strength and it's speaking about leaders that were uh, in that time strong leaders. And here we have horns on the altar. Interesting, if you were a criminal in ancient times uh, and somebody was pursuing you for your crimes, you could run to the altar and grab hold of the horns of the altar and you were safe. You see, in Israel... Sometimes justice came very quickly. But you were able to grab hold of the altar and find sanctuary if you could grab hold of the horns of the altar. I don't know about anybody else, but there's days in my life when I feel like the enemy is pursuing me for the things that I've done in the past and I need to grab hold of the place where Christ was offered. Today's kind of part one because next week we need to answer a really big question. Next week, today we're going to talk about how it is that we can come. God says to come. God says to draw near. What does that even look like? So we'll unpack that in a moment. But here's a question. I was reading through Hebrews and I found something very interesting. The sacrifice of Christ was absolutely complete. It talks about the fact that uh, his sacrifice was once for all. Where we used to bring sacrifices, now there's only one sacrifice. Hebrews tells us that uh, that things that are old are passing away, speaking about the sacrificial Levitical system. So I was reading Levit uh, Hebrews and I'm thinking, Lord, why do we need a priest then? Because we still have a high priest, friends. And we'll answer that question next week. It's a very glorious answer of why we still need a priest. 
Uh, for those that have, have their Bibles, if you'd like to meet me in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, a little bit of context that brings us to some really important verses in Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, many people say it was Paul. In the early times, they attributed it to Paul. The language is Pauline, but the dates don't line up with Paul. So it's very hard to label it as Paul. Uh, what's going on in the book of Hebrews? Uh, the book of Hebrews, you can sum it up with one word. It's the word better. What the writer to the Hebrews wants everybody to know is that Jesus is better than Moses. He wants them to know that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. The way that we, and what he means by that is the way that we approach God, the way that we worship God, the way that we come near to God now is far better. And we'll reach this point in a moment, but the reason is because it's all been done. Uh, Before we go any further, you spell, I wasn't very good at math or spelling when I was in class, but I'm pretty sure you spell religion D-O, but you spell Christianity D-O-N-E because Jesus has done what we could not do. And the writer of the Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians because there was this period between the death and resurrection of Christ and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD when, yes, we had Jewish Christians, yes, we had a new way to worship God, but many were still under the old system. Many were still bringing their bulls and their goats. And you might be sitting here going, well, Judaism's alive and well today, so what's going on now? What they did is they actually just kind of supplemented. Where they used to bring animals, they've got other things they now use in Judaism. That's kind of so they can still practice their religion, but there's no more temple, there's no more altars, there's no more priesthood of that. And so the writer to Hebrews is saying, Look, what is old and passing away will soon be brushed aside, and the new will come in. And we have that in Christ. And he's just spent ten and a half chapters imploring these Jewish Christians to, to embrace this new worship to embrace our new high priest. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 19, he says, therefore, which reaches back to everything that he's just said. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, listen to some of this language. This is is enormous. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Let's let's unpack some really important words there. Since we have the confidence, since we have the freedom, since we have the audacity, that's what that's what that that is speaking of there. It speaks of we have free. When I was uh, the storeman at the casino, I just went to and fro wherever I like. Swipe my card, in I go. I can remember. Uh, uh, I usually get some funny looks when I say this, but most people here may not know. I was in drug manufacturing when I was in Tasmania. You don't seem surprised, Ross. <laughs> but I worked at a morphine factory. That's, that's what it was. But I can remember I worked in refinement. And I, I can remember the first day I started, I had to scan through three doors. I had to do a retina scan to get through the last two doors to get into the refinement room. That's where we refined the morphine. And, and after I've gone through three doors and I've retina scanned, I went out into my area and there's this huge roller door standing wide open. And I'm thinking, why did I bother doing that? But you had to go through all these checks and balances to get in. But now the writer to Hebrews says, you've got that same confidence. You've got an all areas access pass. You can go backstage for the groupies. See me, you strike me as a groupie, darling. You would have done well uh, back in the groupie days. 
we have a confidence to enter the presence of God, a confidence that nobody had before. We have a confidence to enter the holy places. How do we enter the holy places? By the blood of Jesus. No other fount I know. I'm not going to sing this morning, so you th- everyone, happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Lord. He's not going to sing this morning, but no other. Uh, when I was in the Salvation Army, on their, on their flag, they have blood and fire. They sang hymns about the blood of Jesus every Sunday. Uh, and I love some of those hymns for the truth that was in them. But nothing but the blood of Jesus, yeah? You see, what we find under the old system and what, what the writer of the Hebrews wants them to know is, you know what, under the old system, you used to use bulls and goats and that might have kind of temporarily done for the outside, but now we have the sacrifice of Jesus who penetrates to our very conscience, to the inner man. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, uh, we're going to cover this off in a moment, but religion is of the head, relationship is of the heart. Immediately that we say, I want to draw closer to God, what, what comes up in our minds? Immediately that we think, oh, I want to come closer to God, we think, well, okay, I need to read more chapters of the Bible, I need to pray longer, uh, I need to be more nicer to the pastor. That one's a definite, that one goes right at the top. But, but I, need, I need to kick the cat out and, and do all those sorts of things. But, but the reality is you can draw close to God. I hope you grab this today. You can draw close to God and not move a physical muscle because it's a spiritual activity. It's different today. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. Listen to some of this language. I don't know who wrote the Hebrews, but praise the Lord that they did. Uh, Through the new and living way that he has what opened for us? Opened, past tense. To the Jews, this is profound. To Jews, they're standing here looking at the temple. This is a... This is a replica of what you would experience in the temple to some degree. They're they're thinking temple language and they're thinking, we can't go in there. Imagine when Jesus was crucified. Imagine being the priests who were standing in the holy place when the veil was torn from top to bottom. Imagine standing there and going, where are the toilets, please? (laughs) They knew they couldn't go, but what the writer of the Hebrews says is, Well, no, you couldn't. And immediately when we think to ourselves, I want to draw near to God, I want to be closer to God, we're trying to map out how that happens. I've got some good news, friends. Stop mapping it out. Jesus has already opened the way. By the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. We'll come back to those in a moment. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's for next week. Now the verse I wanted to get it to. Let us draw near. Uh, Hebrews uses the word draw near a lot. James uses the word draw near as well. Uh, James, we all know the the verse in James which says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James uses that in the context of leaving your friendship with the world. That's the context. The context here is there is an invitation for all of us to come to to come closer to God. Imagine what that means 
Jesus, the invitation of the gospel, Jesus says, come, come unto me all who are are weary and burdened and and come and believe in me. All who come to me, says Jesus, will never hunger or thirst. First question is, how do we come? But imagine for a moment what come really means this morning. Imagine what it meant. Go all the way back into Genesis. Just recently, I was reading the chapters about Noah. Imagine what that meant for Noah. Because in Genesis 7 verse 1, God says, most translations will say God told Moses, to, uh, sorry, Noah to go into the ark. That's not correct. The Hebrew is come. God was already in there. And when God said to Noah, come you and your family into the ark, what that meant for Noah was you need to leave everything you know. You need to leave your house. You need to leave your cats. You need to leave your... It's Mother's Day. It's not Cat's Day. <laughs> we, we don't have one of those days. But, but here's what it meant for Noah. Complete abandonment. Uh, imagine what it was like for Noah. He was shut up in this place for 50 days. It rained for... I picture he's in there thinking, I wonder when this rain's going to stop. Imagine the disciples. Jesus comes to a tax collector sitting in his tax booth and says, come, follow me. And here's what that meant for Matthew. Matthew, get up, walk out of your tax booth and never go back in there again. What it meant for Peter was, leave your business, leave your boat, leave your fishing. Lord, don't ever ask that anymore, please. Leave your fishing, leave your boat. And here's what it meant for Peter. Leave your wife and come follow me. Now, Peter, Peter and his wife, there's evidence, of course, they were still together because Paul says later on, uh, you know, Cephas brought his wife along on ministry and missionary journeys. And for those who know the story of Peter, uh, Peter's story ends with him clinging to the jail cell bars as his wife is being led out to be martyred under the Roman Empire. He's clinging to the bars, yelling, remember the joy of the Lord. What come meant for Noah and what come meant for the disciples was you leave everything else. Often we say, yes, Lord, I'm coming. Just let me bring all my worldly things as well. And God says, if you're going to come, you've got to leave some stuff behind. So how do we come? Let's see what the writer to Hebrews says. He's got some great advice for us this morning. Let us draw near how with a true heart. That's how it starts. There's four things that the writer to the Hebrews wants to help us as we come to the Lord. First one is with a true heart. What does it mean to come to the Lord with a true heart? It's the opposite of counterfeit. It's genuine. It's, it's, uh, here's a huge word for the rock Christian church. And I pray it becomes a huge word for all of us. It's the word intentional. Uh, In James, for those that read the book of James, you'll read that he says about a double-minded man or a double-souled person. And he says the double-minded man shouldn't think he'll ever receive anything from the Lord. And what that word double-minded, double-souled or unstable means, it means to be in two minds. And the opposite of double-minded is intentional. 
Lord, I've turned this way. I'm heading towards you and nothing is going to turn me around. Notice how even right now, notice what the writer didn't say. Let us draw near by reading an extra 15 chapters of the Bible every day and praying for an extra hour. All of those things are really, really good for, for developing our relationship with the Lord. But this isn't about what you do. This is about walking and following the footsteps of Christ. It's about what Jesus has done. Let us come with a true heart, a yielded and surrendered heart, a genuine heart, in full assurance of faith. A faith has come to mean a lot of things depending on what rafter you may swing from in recent times. But faith means uh, an undisturbed conviction that drives all of your life. Uh, many people have said, you know what, uh, for, for those church folk, they just check their brains out at the door and then they come on in, you know, because uh, faith is blind. Blind faith is superstition. A full assurance of faith is I have weighed the evidence and I am basing my whole life, my whole trust, my whole confidence in the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I believe in him as the son of God. I believe he was raised from the dead after three days. And that gives us an eternal hope to anchor our lives on as well. In full assurance of faith. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who would draw near to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Friends, God is waiting. A.W. Tozer says that God is waiting for us to draw near, but so often he waits too long. Last two might help us a little bit as we're talking about the, the, the altar and the lava. Uh, what finishes off here is using language that these guys would have known. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's priest language. That's this is the process that the, that the priest would undertake to prepare them for the presence. We prepare ourselves, which you, this is what it's teaching us. There is a preparation for the presence of God. Uh, what it meant for the priests is that there would be sacrifices offered on the altar and then the blood from the sacrifices would be sprinkled on them and that blood enabled them to come into the presence of God. Uh, then they would wash in the lava just before they went in uh, and then they would actually, throughout the course of their uh, duties inside of the holy place, they would wash frequently. And so the first part is with our hearts sprinkled in the full assurance of what Christ's sacrifice means to us. How do we apply Christ's sacrifice? Because that part is really important for each of us. You see, when we go back to the Exodus story and we go back to uh, chapter 12 and the Passover, uh, we understand that the Passover lamb was applied to the doors. Just as a reminder, remember who they were trying to be safe from? God. Yeah, God's judgment. But what they had to do, they didn't just have to walk out and go, yep, I agree with my mind that that blood's a good thing. They had to take that blood and apply it to their doorposts. And we have to do the same. God calls us to do the same. How do we, how, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience? And, and John helps us with this in his epistle in the first chapter. You can go home and read this uh, uh, chapter for yourself. But, but John talks of fellowship. 
The word fellowship is used four times in that chapter. John wants us to know something. But the word fellowship there means participation or experience. And John says our fellowship is with one another, but our fellowship with one another is also our fellowship with God. And in the light of fellowship and in light of relationship, he says, he says that we should walk in the light as he's in the light. This is a beautiful verse. Chapter 1, verse 8 of the epistle of John says, Let us walk in the light as he is in the light, for then the, son, the blood of his son cleanses us, which means it's constantly happening, constantly happening. I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes before you even finish your breakfast, you're like, I need the blood of Jesus. The cats walk past, brushed your leg, I need the blood of Jesus. Walking in the light... It's very simple. It's walking transparently and honestly before God. That's a true heart, right? Lord, I walk honestly and openly, keeping short accounts with God. John then goes on and says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of his son cleanses us, yes. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. We are taking the blood and we are applying it to our heart. I confess. Uh, Can I just drop a hint as a slight digression this morning? Can I let you know that sin is like mushrooms? It thrives in the dark. When you confess sin before God and you're open about sin and you put it out on the table, it shrivels up. Our heart sprinkled is about what God has done. However, bodies washed is about what we do. It's about our conduct. How do we approach God? We, we approach God with a true and genuine heart. We can come to God uh, with, with full assurance of faith. We can come to God under and in full reliance on the sacrifice of Christ. But there is a point also where this is about our life. This is about how we present ourselves. More about that next week. Uh, just as we jump into next week and reach into a little bit of next week, the sacrifices haven't ended. No more bulls and goats, but there is still a sacrifice. More about that next week. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which is about our conduct before the Lord. The greatest words in the gospel are the words come. As we come to the end this morning, I'm going to ask the stewards, if they could hand out the emblems. We're going to come around the table of the Lord as we finish briefly this morning. And as we come around the Lord's table, I pray that we would have a time of reflection. God is calling us all to come near. And as I was reading through these verses uh, in the book of Hebrews, I noticed in chapter 10, maybe there's people here this morning, I don't know, where you feel like there's days in your life where you're running for the altar to grab hold of the horns of the altar because the enemy's standing to accuse you. Maybe you've, maybe as we come around the Lord's table and we remember what he has done for us, maybe we begin to reflect on just how unworthy we are. 
Maybe our thoughts go to, you know what, uh, all of that sounds fine, pastor, but I'm not worthy to come close to God. God wouldn't want, you, you don't know the things that I've done in my past. You don't know uh, what I did even this morning. You don't know the mistakes that I have made. And I loved the verse that I stumbled upon this morning uh, when I was reading through uh, chapter Chapter 10, let me read you a few verses. Chapter 10, verse 11, we'll cover off the priest part. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Imagine that. Imagine coming every Sabbath and offering, but the animals could never actually take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And by sitting down, he is saying, it is done. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, I think this verse applies to a lot of us in this room. For by a single offering, he has perfected. Past tense. On Good Friday, we spoke about the word in Greek called telestai. And what that means is it is finished. And that word, like these words here, is a what they call a present participle. It's kind of like a... It's, it's speaking about an act that was completed in the past that has benefits and effects today. That's what it is finished means. Jesus was saying what he had completed there has. And so we read the same verbs here. It is a, it is a perfect participle. It is Christ's completed sacrifice for us that has effects today. For by a single offering he has perfected. That is the words to every one of us this morning. He has perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified. The process of drawing near to God doesn't end until we're in glory. We're ever coming closer, we're ever learning more, we're ever uh, drawing closer to him. But when I read that verse, I remember just sitting saying, thank you, Jesus. Because I could never perfect myself. And this morning, just as we sit, I wonder whether there's one or two that would like to just say a prayer of thanks as we come around the Lord's table for what he has done for us. Yes. That we would take what has mm. been given so generously and we would apply it to our lives, knowing that in our own right there was nothing we could do to remove the condition, that sin nature that we were all born in. Yes. But you and you alone were able to pay the price that we might be set free and now we can step through <coughs> the veil 
yeah. that we can come into the Holy of Holies, that beautiful place into God's presence. And for that, Lord, there are not enough words to give you thanks. Thank you, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says that every time we come around the Lord's table, we are proclaiming his death until he comes. Lord, I thank you this morning that as we come together and we do assemble around your table, we are proclaiming what your death has achieved for us. The accuser has been silenced. We have an advocate before the Father, one who speaks on our behalf. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and this morning as we gathered together, let us take of the bread in his presence, remembering what his sacrifice has achieved for us. And taking the cup, he poured it out, saying, this is poured out for many. And this morning, let us remember the blood of Jesus. We come near, we draw near by the blood of Jesus. This morning, we drink in celebration of what that blood has achieved for us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that every heart will continue to hear the words come. Lay aside your religion, lay aside your to-do list, lay aside your past, lay aside the things of this world and come. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode